listening to the Fem Foundry podcast with me, Pips Taylor. Now, Fem Foundry is a new home for womankind around the world. We are a one of a kind global community and we bridge the gap between the professional and the personal. And this podcast reflects just that. How are you doing, Amy? Well, we, 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 welcome to the Fem Foundry podcast. We are back for a very exciting episode this week, and Amy's here joining me. Amy, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good, thank you. We've got a really exciting uh, week, obviously, on on, on FEM because we've got the launch of our NFTs. Finally, I feel like we've been waiting for this moment for so long. Yeah. Uh, so, Amy, how can people get involved in the NFTs? Well, firstly, yes, big whoop because, um, <laughs> you know... Well done, mate. Us. Well done because <laughs> this is such a huge feat to have, have, have achieved. So I'm really, I'm really excited. It's been, yeah, for me and the team, it's... Uh, it's been a long time having this, um, but we've got there. Um, so it's really exciting. And um, the OpenSea looks great and they're selling, um, which is amazing. And just the message out there to promote female capital is really great. So yes, if you want to buy one, head to OpenSea. You need a MetaMask or um, your wallet to be able to obviously link. Most people in crypto will know this, but if you're new, um, all of the, you can find all of these resources in the app. So already in the app that is in the replay how to set up a metamask wallet also all about OpenSea. Um, and rebecca and i next week will be doing a um, session drop in in app which will be about 15 minutes talking you through um just the, the entire process of how to buy one and it's really easy and really quick because i think that's the thing it sounds like because it's obviously quite new people like oh what is this and how does it work and it sounds like it's much more complicated than it is but yeah it's so good to have those tutorials my favorite one of my favorite things in the app is is like the, the the kind of the the walkthroughs that just sort of show you exactly how like how things work and what and, and what to kind of watch yeah and believe me i'm the most impatient person ever so if <laughs> i can do it and it's quick and easy um, <laughs> anyone can do it so the whole point is we've sort of gone through all the process for you um, yeah to- just how easy or how hard this actually is and uh, yeah if we can all do it it's very accessible to everyone um, believe me so we've had a really big event drop which I love in the app there's so much going on at the moment um, and we've got more to come which is brilliant um, so there's loads of new things going in the app we've got everything from um, yoga to meditation we've got some gratitude stuff coming we've also got um, a big learning and development drop all around how to set up new businesses everything um, like that uh, we've also got our monthly tax an account drop in which you like know, don't I can feel users listeners go oh boring and I was like as soon as anyone says the word tax I like my whole body sort of seizes yeah, like, up oh. I'm like oh god because <laughs> I have to train myself I have to like you know to, to 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 be better and to react better around this and it is just confidence building that's why we've put it in there you know as part of financial yeah. health and just to make it really normal and also you know introduce your team of to a team of really nice really accessible people who can answer all your questions um, as a free resource which mm. normally a lot of this stuff you'd have yeah. to pay for so this week Amy let me tell you about what we've got coming up on the podcast because yeah. we've got a brilliant uh, guest uh, so Mika Simmons who's an award-winning filmmaker she's an actress she's an activist she's a writer a director there's literally nothing that she can't do and she's unbelievably wonderful uh, she's also the founder of the Lady Garden Foundation and the Happy Vagina podcast, which I'm sure uh, many of you who are listening will have heard of um, and already tuned into. She set up the Ginsburg Women's Health Board, uh, which aims to revolutionise the healthcare system in the UK, which is really, really close to, to Femme Boundary's heart in terms of our kind of, you know, 
our well-being and our health and our female health. It's a real pleasure to chat to her today and I really hope that you enjoy the podcast. I want to kick off with your kind of career because you're an actress first and foremost and what's amazing is you've kind of evolved and you've been doing writing and, and directing and I mean was acting something that you always wanted to do? Yeah it's interesting actually um, Pip because as you have as you are aware you came along to my episode with Nicola Adams and she was talking at the beginning about how she always wanted to be a boxer and that and I noted that she had a coach that said he said I didn't tell her she couldn't become world champion and uh, she then talked about how she when she started to use visualization techniques at sports camps with sports psychologists she was like well I've already been doing this and I reflected on kind of I made a joke of it actually and reflected on how I used to think I'd get like spotted to swim for the Olympics but the truth is on reflection when I came away from that interview I thought I wonder what what it would have been different for me what would have been different for me if I hadn't had people trying to hold me back because from a very very young age I had a very clear vision that I wanted to perform when I saw things on television when I was around that world there was an ignition in me that I still have today and it in it's a feeling of home and it's a feeling of wanting to be part of and and it's a feeling of joy and I have it around all aspects of the industry so not just working as, as an actor but as a writer as well and as a director just being in the theater makes my whole body kind of melt you know just to go and see other people's shows and celebrate their work or to be in rehearsal or on stage myself just being on a film set has the same impact so it's the whole environment and and that sort of like creativity and it's like the whole environment that you're into well it's more like it's my meditation it's kind of where i feel closest to a higher power and a sense of stillness in life where it makes sense to me that i you know none of us are getting out of here alive pit we're here for a very very short time and i think that you know, as much as possible, whether it be in your work or if you can't do that because there's limits within a hobby, we should have things in our life that give us that feeling of, of belonging and home. But because I had a few people in my life who will go unnamed because I love them and I don't want to shame them, but people told me I couldn't do it when I was young. I got told I couldn't do it. So it's been a very long journey for me. M much of the work that I do around humans and women specifically is is a reflection of how deep I've had to dig to find my own voice and to really be in my own power and to fight for the seat at the table that I wanted and to really accept the fact that that is my calling and that I deserve to do that. But I think, you know, I was a very sensitive child. I think creatives are. So I probably, someone else may have... I don't I'm I'm not in a in a sort of self-pity around it because the truth is is that the nose also rallied me to fight harder. So there is that element as well when someone says no and you're a bit like oh, fuck you. <laughs> um it's interesting you say there you know how hard you fought for that seat at the table and to kind of understand who you are and what your voice is. This is such a femme foundry thing and really what we're all about. For those who are listening who are potentially thinking, you know, I have a voice, but they're, they're kind of looking for it and they're, they're just like learning how to use it. Have you got any sort of, I suppose, guidance or any kind of wisdom that you could share with us around that of something that's worked for you? Yeah, for a very long time, I think I surrounded myself 
by the wrong people. So um, first and foremost, never give up. Write things down and really believe that you can do anything. And I'm, I'm not I'm not naive. I'm not from a, a moneyed background. My family are working class. I'm, I'm, I'm not deluded that people have to work, but it can come out in so many ways. So write things down that you want to do, write them down, keep writing it down and stay focused on it. No matter what's going on and see if you can carve out a little pocket of time for you to do that thing. Because my experiences, and I have had to do other jobs, is that if I keep going, today I'm like, wow, those things that I dreamt of 10 years ago are happening. And then the other thing would be just to find surround yourself by people who will absolutely rally you. Because I surrounded myself by people that brought me down or made fun of me for quite a long time and were just a bit neggy. And now I'm surrounded by women like you who just want me to do well. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. What I love about talking to you, and especially at this moment in time, is I can see how hard you have worked for such a long time. And I feel like you are stepping into your power and you are this like you know, voice of our generation when it comes to women's issues. And I think it's it's just really, really powerful. What attracts you to a role? Because as women, often there are lots of roles that are not very strong and they're not what we would want to play. So what attracts you to a role or, or have you really had to sort of create roles for yourself? I haven't created roles for myself yet. Watch this space. <laughs> but I am... What I can reflect is that now I'm in my 40s, I'm having a much better time. So, and I now have the most phenomenal agent as well working for me in that space. I, in my earlier years, I would suggest that the roles were quite two dimensional and the girlfriend or the affair, I often got sort of cast as the affair and, and these sort of slightly um, uh, nothing roles that, that they didn't challenge me in now partly I think because of my age so to have women in their 40s in 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 a show they're often there for a reason so that's great but also there's been a massive transformation within the industry for minority groups and older women are a minority group I mean I'm, I don't consider myself to be older older but but from from about 38 39 on when I was in my 20s women started to disappear and women aren't allowing that to happen anymore so I'm benefiting from the fact that better roles are being written for women of my age and that women in the nation and internationally are demanding that they see themselves reflected on screen. Yeah, and it's so important because there was that ageism and we're not talking very long ago, but now I really feel it's the more we talk about wanting to see uh, women of an older age on screen and wanting to sort of see those hero figures and wanting women who've clearly been through things and have got wisdom and they've got a story to tell and not just another... 15-year-old playing a 30-year-old on, on screen. You're such an activist when it comes to things like that and actually, you know, recognising that that's a space that also needs work and actually then doing something about it. Here at Fem Foundry, we've got uh, our four pillars, which are physical health, mental health, spiritual health and financial health. And you are a true mental health advocate. You've spoken often about your experiences uh, with mental health and you've touched on your experiences of being bullied as a child and how they led to depression. And I'm just wondering what this experience was sort of like for you and how it's shaped you growing up and and sort of into the woman that you are today mm, it's funny isn't it the 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 importance of school I think I was talking to someone about this the other day and I still don't think we really deeply understand the amount of trauma that can happen at school which is a 
a very frightening time. And my experience was, again, I think I, I, my family were really bohemian and we were a little different to the rest of the community. So I think I was a bit of an outcast. I was also, I think, quite a pretty young girl. And so there were a lot of old, slightly older women than me, young girls than me, that really just didn't like me for no reason. And I couldn't understand why. And I think... Again, it's been a bit of a lifelong journey for me because lots of people get bullied. I mean, it's it's also part of being a kid. But for me, the main issue was that I didn't talk to anyone about it. So, And I don't know why. I really, st- I, well, I know that somehow or other I think I deserved it. I really felt that what they were saying to me was that I was a bad person and that therefore I, I, I was, and I took it in. Oh, that breaks my heart. So, you know, someone else may not have taken that in, but because I am a creative in, in every bit of my being, so because I am, to be a creative, you need to be more sensitive than someone who's, you know, I mean, it's a generalisation, but so I just took it on board and it and it definitely shaped who I was, my brother was laughing the other day saying, you keep going on about how you were bullied. You were a bully. And the truth is, is that I did become a bit of a bully at school because it was how I survived. And I didn't stay like that. I then really sorted myself out and started to focus on my studies. But there was definitely a year or two where, as a survival mechanism, I became very tough. I became very, very tough. You have to become tough because how how else do you protect yourself? Yeah, yeah. But I also have great faith and I and I feel in a way everything that I went through has made me the woman that I am today and I I feel that all of those experiences that I've had are allowing me to help others and I think that's a for any human being at whatever level you help others whether it be just your next door neighbor or in your local community or on a slightly wider scale if you have a, a small profile like me you have a legacy of helping other people to survive this thing that we call life and to feel better about themselves and to have better mental health. I think that feels very satisfying to me. So in some ways, some of I've speaking about the issues that I have with mental health, I've kind of healed it. I've I've kind of I haven't moved through it, but I've turned it into something positive, I suppose. You know, the sharing and being open and honest about it, it's cathartic and it helps you process things. Is there anything that you wish you'd had as a child that would have helped you deal with the bullying and, and the is- and the issues that that raised? Not specifically, but I have this ongoing thought at the moment. And again, it came up on the Nicola Adams podcast that you just came to that I hosted. When I asked her about whether anyone had asked her about what was going on in her home life. So she's spoken very openly about the fact there was domestic violence in her home. That's her story to tell, not mine. But I said to her, did anyone ask you or do anything? And she said, no. And I've got this... (laughs) There's this thing about humanity that I wonder what would have happened if someone had asked me how I was. And I don't know why people don't. As humans, we have this very weird gap where we kind of go, that's none of my business. I need to stay out of that. And someone might see that someone's changed, but we, we get frightened of upsetting the apple cart somehow and and I don't actually know what the answer is 
But I do think asking more questions is something that would have helped me if people had asked me more what was going on and not let me hide. I think that's such a good point. And also you raise a really interesting question there in terms of if you can see that there's something going on, you know, why would you not ask the question? And what is that? Is that more social conditioning? Is it a generational thing? Is it, you know, the kind of the stiff upper lip? But I feel like I want us to move past that point. You know, I want us to be able to have the courage to sort of ask if we see people that potentially aren't aren't doing okay. But especially when it, it, it with with children. Well, and coming back to school, and actually this is what Nicola reflected that today that particular arena is better because there's systems in place at schools, and I think that is really. Probably the answer is that, and, and what I was saying, that school is such a damaging time. Like our education system could just be doing so much more to nurture young people as they come through. So not only it being a less frightening place where bullying does happen ongoingly, and now it's even worse for them online with the Instagram and stuff for young people, but also having systems where, you know, children get to share in a deeper way with someone at, at school. Uh, I think the Americans do it, actually. They have school counsellors. I think it's def- there's definitely much more support and involvement than, than there was, which I think is really Im- important. You mentioned your uh, family and your upbringing and that, you know, it, you said it was sort of slightly different. And I know that uh, a lot of your charity work has been inspired by your mother, who very sadly um, passed away uh, due to having ovarian cancer at a young age. Um, and I know she was a really active feminist. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Because I feel that she was a really inspirational figure. Yeah, my mum was wild. She was so wild. I feel so... It's getting worse. My my grief is getting better. My sadness to not be able to see who she would have been in her 70s is getting worse. I don't think we're too far off each other. I think mum, like me, spent most of her years finding out who she was, what her spirit was, who she wanted to be as a woman. And, you know, your grief of losing your mum did evolve into something absolutely incredible by co-founding the Lady Garden campaign, raising funds and awareness of gynecological cancers. I mean, obviously early diagnosis is is so important but you know you know more than more than anything in ter- in terms of raising awareness how important is i suppose early diagnosis to beating these types of cancers and what what can we be doing it's so important but i'm on this whole other trip around it now so for the 5 years that i was started Lady Garden and I actually pretty much ran the project for the first five years. It got lots of help from other people. I definitely didn't do it on my own, but I was the the fundamental key person. I grew the baby and um, uh, which I'm still very heavily involved now, but I'm not in that pivotal role anymore. And, you know, the thing that we were making noise about is early diagnosis and that, and that, you know, these, these cancers are silent so therefore, there aren't enough symptoms. And, and and since starting The Happy Vagina, and also I've just written The Happy Vagina book, and starting to understand what happened to women's health and the history of women's health and the way that women's bodies have not been properly investigated and the way that the research is slanted towards the male body and the way that women are not included in clinical trials and the fact that the ovaries, which is the area of the body that my mother got cancer and she died from, Pip, 
the ovaries were not discovered until the 19th century. The 19th century. So I recently wrote a piece for the Evening Standard where I said ovarian cancer is not a silent killer. What we're dealing with here is a gender health gap. And I got a ton of backlash and I also got an even greater amount of applause because the real issue here is that there are symptoms but because we don't understand endometriosis and because we don't understand periods and because we don't understand the menopause properly something like ovarian cancer gets undetected because we don't know that it's different from something else and what i said in the piece was that actually while we right size this mess of women's health and this big gender health gap in terms of healthcare actually as women as human beings the very best thing that we can do is actually deeply get to know our own cycles like know your body like it's a fine tooth comb if you feel a weird thing write it down keep checking on it and take the responsibility on yourself to know and then demand that you get tested and so you know i i can't i can't honestly say that it's not true that the early symptoms aren't there because I, I'm not a medic, but I do think that there's a deeper layer and a deeper argument to be having here rather than just going, oh, we're just going to accept it. The medical world has told us that it's like, that it's just a silent killer. So let's all just regurgitate that same message, which is it's a silent killer. Well, what if it's not? What if, if the issue is, is that women's bodies have not been looked after properly? Absolutely. And I think that's also, it's something that I have really learned recently about my body going through all the fertility issues that we've had when wanting to you know start a family is like I knew nothing about my body and it, you know sort of it was so shocking to kind of realize how little I knew in the, in my mid-30s because I've just never dedicated the time to get to know my body and also think about it in in in, in a sort of reproductive way I know that you have spoken about your choice to sort of not have children and how this is still a, a, a taboo subject in some circles. Have you felt pressure to conform or forced to have to explain yourself? Uh, yeah, I think. So firstly, I wouldn't say that it was a choice. It wasn't a clean choice. So there's definitely been some choices within it. And some of the choices have been that when partners have asked me to have children with them, I haven't been ready and vice versa. So those are choices. <laughs> if I stay with someone that doesn't want to have children with me, that was my choice. And if and if someone wants to have children with me and I say no, that's a choice. I also at the stage that I think I probably should have needed to consider having a child on my own absolutely chose that that was not what I wanted to do like I knew that much I knew that I did not want to have a child on my own that said I was recently with a couple of women who were talking about that expression of mine and they said if you'd have had childcare, if you'd have known that on every job you'd have gone if there'd been a crush on every film set would you have like said I'm gonna have one on my own and probably the answer is yes so some of that I don't want to have a child on my own was to do with the fact that I didn't feel I mean I didn't have a mum Pip I didn't have a mum I didn't you know I mean I didn't have any support really but for me my early 40s were pretty horrendous with so from about 40 39 through to 42 the ongoing onslaught of people saying to me don't you want to have children don't you want to have children was 
I mean, to say that it was like having a sort of a, a, a quite a large drawing pin in my shoe that no one would let me take out. You know how annoying that is. It's like it was just unbelievably. And I, I didn't actually even because because of social conditioning and the pressure to conform. It was only when I was at the other side of it and people stopped asking me that I thought that really wasn't OK. It's so ridiculous as well because it's also just not a question that you would push on a man. No one asks a man in his 40s repeatedly when he's going to have kids and why he doesn't want to have them. And, you know, I feel like having having this conversation is is so important. So thank you for, 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 for opening up about it. But also change needs to happen, you know, and it's um, it is such a taboo. Mm. Well, I'm loving most of the time being child free. And I really enjoy the fact that I've got many things in my life that probably take the space of children. Uh, I do also have some sad days. But I think really the mo there's two things. One is we somehow need to take women out of the your role in life is to be a mother space and actually integrate men more into that space, you know? And I think not asking is a really good tip. Just don't ask, stop asking. It's none of your business unless someone brings it up with you, their fertility, because like you've just touched on Pip, you know, sometimes people can be having a really difficult time. Mylene Class was just on the podcast recently saying that people kept saying, don't you have another baby when she'd be in the middle of having a miscarriage? You know, it's just a tenderness to find a tenderness with how we interact with each other as human beings, that it's not that we shut down and don't ask, but that we invite a question rather than going in like a, you know, a bull in a china shop. Totally. I think also it's a lack of awareness. I feel like some of us are very passionate about talking openly about these things because I feel like the more you talk about it the more you normalize it and therefore it's less isolating for people who are going through things whether you're you know at, with myelin class you know sort of grieving a loss or several losses or you're having fertility issues or you maybe want children but you can't anymore but th there's other ways of being a mother if that's what you want to be if you can't and I think that's a really important conversation as well it's not so black and white and I feel that there's a real lack of awareness of people asking those questions when they should, you know, as you say, when, when they really shouldn't be. And it can be really triggering and it can be really traumatic. And just something to add, which uh, is really exciting, which is that over the last three or four years, there has been some key research into, uh, they've been looking, it's, it's tested on animals, I'm sorry, everyone, but basically they've been testing the impact of certain chemotherapies on the fertility of animals. And there's been evidence to show that these animals were, continuing to grow eggs outside of the reserve that they thought the animal had wow so this is some stem cell research now i've just posted this on the happy vagina instagram and i've had such a backlash enough for all these people saying we're leaving you we're not following you anymore you're posting stuff that's not fact and i'm like well it is fact because they've done it in animals and you know what one day someone said that the earth was flat and then lo and behold we worked out it was fucking round so i think that one of the things that really needs to change pip is this conversation about the biological clock that runs out women from the age of about 20 onwards live with this story that tells them they have something that is running out now firstly if science can work out that we can make more eggs that might be huge for fertility huge for the menopause just it's going to be a game changer for women 
it's not it's not finalized yet but they are moving towards working out if that is possible but even if it isn't possible let's stop talking about things running out yeah I completely agree with you. I think it's... You need to reframe it. Call it something different. It's also, it's, it's the language that is used around it as well is so negative. You know, yes. like saying, you know, sort of, you know, I was told, I, you know, have you know having a bit like low ovarian reserve, like ovarian failure, all these things. It's like they are really traumatic words to be hearing. And it's that taking back control and and creating a new language around it and creating a new dynamic and create and trying to frame things differently so that people it's less traumatic than it actually is. I don't know if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I got told that too. You've got a low follicle count and you're, you know, you're a very ovarian reserve is below five, which means that your eggs are running out. I mean, I left that appointment going, oh my God, this is so traumatising. <laughs> Although I'm not sure, I, I agree with you that the language needs to be reframed. But again, I think it wouldn't be so shocking if we were taught this stuff much earlier. So I think doctors, a doctor's job is actually to give you the facts, Pip. We need the facts. That's what we went for. But the fact that we didn't even know that that was, that there was kind of a diminishing ovarian reserve, you know, I think we need more, more information. And that's, I think that education needs to start earlier. And that's something that I'm really passionate about and want to do more on in that space. But we'll talk about that another time. I do just want to touch on The Happy Vagina because it's such a brilliant podcast. Yes. Um, and as someone who has worked both as an actor and a director, I wanted to talk a little bit about your views on how sexual pleasure, especially female sexual pleasure, is shown on film. And there's so many scenes that are still very much male gaze-esque. Do you feel the tide is changing? Yes and no. Um, oh, it's really complicated, isn't it? I know. Well, things like sex ed, you know, there are intimacy coordinators. That's a really positive thing. But it's again, it's it's those powerful female roles. It's also that's intertwined with female pleasure as well. So sex education, one of the things that's really important about sex education, and we've got Shenanya Zoeda on our podcast this season, Sex Ed, and what we're talking about is that whole space of um, self-pleasure and pleasure for women and orgasm. And I just, it's really complicated. So what needs to stop, what needs to stop is this idea of two people getting it on on screen where he whips her clothes off bangs her on the bed and she's pretending to have an orgasm yeah, that total has bullshit to stop. <laughs> it's really 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 bad because the truth is is that film and tv is where a lot of us get our education about sex so that needs to stop sex education as a tv show is a comedy so actually, I think the things that like, you know, the scene in this last season where Amy Leward's character gives her one of one of the lads the, the responsibility of the vulva. Yeah. Like it, it's we have to remember that it is comedy sex education. It is heightened. And I think that there needs to be a tenderness that families get to decide how they teach their kids stuff. So a girlfriend of mine's kids are at low-level secondary school as in they're just starting and they, they asked them they said do you we're going to do like an advanced it's a private school do you, we're going to do an advanced sex education course for these year whatever they are so i don't know because i've got children but like do you do you want your daughter to be in it and she was like well yes i mean mika's talking about this of course i want my daughter to be in the like in the more superior sex education is really important and i can't remember what it was but the stuff her daughter was taught she came back and told her mum and her mum was horrified yeah yeah she was like i think she literally came home and was like mum what's fingering like it's it's just like yeah. but so but, you know it's just it's just i think that it's a it's 
a yes we need to stop this patriarchal male dominant man having orgasm woman pretending to that needs to stop what we replace it with uh, is 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 to be discussed yeah i i i agree i also think the language is really important as well you know kind of I, a friend of mine, she has a, a primary age daughter and she's sort of trying to use, uh, you know, an anatomically correct language with her kids. But she's finding that so many of her, you know, daughter's friends are using really cutesy words instead of the word vagina or vulva. Do you think it's important for us to kind of encourage in using the right words from a young age? Yes, I do. Actually, I really, really do. I think it's really, really important. And that's just linking back to your experience going to get help with fertility treatment. I think if you'd have been using the words vagina and vulva from a young age, that that's the beginning of having a better education. So, yeah, I do. And I also think that the cutesy names, I, I'm, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this because I built Lady Garden on us going, what do you call yours? And like this sort of like, let's share what our nicknames are for our private parts and i've gone so far the other way i'm like you know and i'm sort of almost anti it now but i do think that it's really deeply important it will normalize it it means that they will no longer be areas of shame that we're needing to use other words for Wow, well, Lady Garden was was eight years ago, so we're progressing and you're at the heart of this progress as well. So it's no wonder that you're looking back and thinking, actually, you know, because you had to start somewhere with it. It's OK to grow into your feminist. It's OK to become a better feminist every day. And it's part, you know, it's part of the uh, it's part of the uh, the process. So you, you have the Happy Vagina book coming out in May of this year. How is the book coming along? It's finished. Yeah. <laughs> and what can we expect? It's so fun. It's like the Instagram account in a book. It's basically, I keep saying to, so I'm, it's being published by Pavilion under HarperCollins. And I keep saying, you know, I'm not an expert, don't you? You know, I'm not an expert. And um, you said that to me earlier, but you are an expert. <laughs> and this is the I, thing, you know? Well, I wanted to write a dictionary with loads of really, really, really fun facts about women's health. And they wouldn't let me because it won't translate so well into, they were like, listen, clitoris may not be clitoris may not be a c in greek so it's like a lot of work to make a dictionary international um so they were it just told me that they had high hopes for it and so what we did is we made it a book that was no longer a dictionary and it's just full of educational inspiring and fun facts those are our three pillars at the happy vagina to educate inspire and have fun and empower four pillars and it's that really you know there's there's some fantastic illustrate it's an illustrated book it's a gift book and it's the kind of book that you would want to buy for a girlfriend or an of age daughter or maybe a mum that's never gone into this space and for me that's what this book is about so Pip, honestly, there's nothing in there that you haven't seen already in, in Lynn Enright's, you know, vagina re-education or, or Lisa Lister's period or Emma Barnett's period, rather, or Lisa Lister's Code Red. There's nothing in there that is... There are, actually, there's a couple of really groundbreaking pieces of information. But there's, but generally, it's it's... I'm not doing this work for the people that have already found it. I'm not doing it. The reason the happy vagina is happy and fun and the reason that I do invite people with profiles on rather than just interviewing nurses and doctors, which I'd find fascinating, is because we are in the minority pip, us women, who have already transitioned into being awake 
about our bodies and awake about how the way women are treated impacts our mental health. There are a much, much bigger proportion of women who have not become awake to that. And that's who I'm doing this work for. I know that it's going to be a great success because, you know, you've done it. Now, just really quickly, we have our four pillars at Fem Foundry, which is mental health, physical health, financial health and spiritual health. This is our sort of quick fire round. So I want to know what your top tips or what works for you best. So let's kick off with physical health. How do you look after your physical health? I've recently engaged a personal trainer. I have come to the conclusion that I'm now at a stage in my life that unless somebody makes me train... I won't do it. I've had other experiences where I used to swim every day and love it, but it's partly to do with being busy. It's partly to do with the fact that in your 40s, things start to get a bit harder. So I have a personal trainer. I love him. He's called Joe. I see him two times a week. He's called Jim with Joe at Core Collective. Love it. And what about your mental health? How do you safeguard that? I surround myself with women who champion me, understand me and care about me in a way that they won't usurp that care for something more shiny and I do a bit of meditation and I try to make sure that I eat well and as we've just touched on exercise so for me mental health really is about how well I am physically as well. And what about spiritual health is that something that you are into? Yeah I have a very very strong relationship with a god of my understanding so I'm on a daily basis trying to be connected to something greater. Sometimes I separate from that when I'm too busy, but generally my day goes better if I put the work in myself and then let universal energy take care of everything else. And I really believe in it. You know, I really, really don't think it's possible that there isn't something deeply exquisite and very powerful that ignites the human body to become alive and then runs through all of us and joins us all to create humanity and this beautiful world that we live in. And it's the ego and not tapping into that God energy that is destroying the world and humanity. That is so beautifully put, I have to say. Frankly, I really like that. And then finally, financial health, which, you know, a lot of us are not great at. I'm trying to be much better at. But how do you look after your financial health? What works for you? I don't, Pip. That's okay. Do you know what? We've got so many things in Fem Foundry that will help you take control of your, your financial <laughs> I, health. I mean, I'm really, I'm very hand to mouth. So I don't, I've never earned a huge amount of money and I do keep my outgoings quite low and I do that so I can continue to be a creative. I'm an artist. Essentially, there was a moment when I gave up acting because I felt like I wasn't doing well enough and not earning enough. And that little pocket of time off made me understand that I'm an artist and sometimes the money comes and sometimes it doesn't and that's okay with me. So I I live within my means. That's how I look after my financial health. And that's really important. And just finally, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given? It's not a piece of advice, but it's why we called Ginsburg Women's Health Board Ginsburg. It's what, what she said, Ginsburg about you know fight for the things that you care about but do it in a way that you can take other people with you and that for me is 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 a a quote a feeling a sense that I really live by so we're at, in all I've spoken so much about the things I fight for whether it be 
education, whether it be women's health, whether it be for change in that space, whether it be for myself and my career. But I always try and do it in a way that I'm not ostracizing others and that other people can feel like they're included. And that, I think that's that's so important. That's also what Fem Foundry is all about as well, uh, in terms of, you know, kind of helping people to you know, sort of connect, discover, learn, thrive and, and doing it in a really sort of safe environment. What did you think of the new app? I think it's amazing. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited to be included and to be on it. Oh, thank you so much, Mika. Always such a pleasure to chat to you. And we do have some female health drop-ins coming in the app, which are sponsored by The Well HQ. So do look out for those. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.